Okay, everybody, I'm glad that you are uh, tuning in with us for CBS. Uh, since everybody, they've told everybody to go home, <laughs> I'm working, I'm doing this from, uh, from my house. As you can see, this is where uh, my family, Laura, normally homeschools our children. So we're in the schoolroom slash dining room. But um, we're going we're gonna to get into the Word now for, for CBS. I'm glad that, that it, again, I'm glad that you're watching. I hope you've been able to maybe move your way through the liturgy that we posted a little earlier today. We, we opened uh, with, with a call to worship from a scripture from the book of Exodus turning our thoughts toward the holiness of our God. We then springboarded off of that to confess our sins together. Uh, and, and, and think about this. Even, I mean, if you're, if you're doing this with, um, with more than one person, maybe with roommates or something, that it, you do have that feeling of, of um, confessing your sins together with other people. But just... If you're not in that situation and you're, you're home either in Auburn or, or where you, you're your home home and, and you're, you're doing this all by yourself and you're missing that corporate aspect of, of confessing sins together, praying together, just do a little mental gymnastics in your mind and just remember that even though I'm not physically there and we're not physically together, we are doing this at the same time and that you have brothers and sisters spread out all over the place that are at the same time confessing their sins, going through these, uh, this liturgy together, and take comfort in that. Um, but we've confessed our sins together. We've been assured of God's pardon through that great passage in 1 John chapter 1. We've prayed the Lord's Prayer together as Jesus taught us to pray. And, uh, and, and so now we come to the portion. Oh, and I hope you were able to, to sing, uh, either by yourself or together. I, we posted some songs that will turn our hearts toward the Lord uh, that are related to the theme we're going to talk about tonight. But now it's time for us to get in the Word of God. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to go ahead and find Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and tonight we're going to continue looking at uh, this, this prayer in Scripture that we have traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Other traditions don't actually call it the Lord's Prayer for for most of church history, uh, church was done in, in Latin, and they referred to this prayer as the Paternoster, which means our Father in Latin, and that's just the first two words of the prayer. And sometimes you might still hear Christians of different traditions refer to this prayer as the Our Father. That's just the first two words of the prayer. But this prayer is found two places in Scripture. We're in the Matthew chapter 6, which is the expanded version of this prayer. Do find it again in abbreviated form in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. But we're just going to, for the rest of this semester, be inching our way through this prayer, just thinking about it phrase by phrase, uh, so that when, when we pray on our own, or we pray together, and we want to use this as our model, we, not, we may not pray, pray these exact words, but if we want to accurately pray a prayer of our own, using this as our model, then we need to know thoroughly what this prayer, what every word of this prayer means so that our mod model is accurate. Our example, we thoroughly understand our example. Even more so if we want to pray this prayer and pray exactly these words in our prayer to the Father, that we know exactly what we're praying. And we're not just praying rote 
uh, rote words and phrases that we've heard our whole life. We, even if we pray this, this actual prayer, we want to pray it prayerfully and meditatively, thinking about what we're saying. And that does bring up a point that I want to reiterate that I mentioned last week. Because Christians do debate. Christians of different traditions do debate. Is the Lord's Prayer a prayer that is merely meant to be an example for us to pray? Like this is a, we're supposed to pray prayers like this, not necessarily this prayer, but this is, Jesus is showing us the kinds of things that we're to pray for. Or uh, is, is this uh, to be a prayer that we, that we pray literally this prayer, word for word, exactly this prayer? You have Christians on both sides of the equation, respected Christians. Uh, for example, one of my favorite Bible teachers, pastors, preachers, Bible teachers, he's now uh, with the Lord, but James Montgomery Boyce. If you can get your hands on any books by James Montgomery Boyce or you can... Uh, listen to his sermons anywhere online. I encourage you to do that. But of this passage and of the Lord's Prayer, James Montgomery Boyce said, Jesus said, pray like this. He did not say, pray these exact words, but pray like this. Hence, the so-called Lord's Prayer is a pattern. Now, I agree with him there. I do agree with him. But on the other hand, uh, for, for all of church history down to this very day, uh, different Christian traditions pray and recite in prayer this very prayer every time they gather. And, and, and Christians throughout church history have done that. Not, not just maybe once a week on Sunday, but many Christians pray this prayer every single day in their prayer time, maybe even multiple times throughout the day. And, uh, and, and here's what I want to reiterate that I mentioned last week. I don't think we have to make a choice between those two things. I don't think that scripture itself demands that we make a choice between is this an example or is it a prayer that Jesus actually means us to pray? Um, because as I think, I'll show you why I think scripture means that. Now, I've said this before. As, as James Montgomery Boyce does point out, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus does say, pray then like this, right? Pray like this. So it would appear that the way Matthew words it that Jesus intends this prayer to be an example or a model for us to follow. Pray like this. Pray prayers like this. Pray these kinds of things. But if you do look at the other, um, at the other uh, time this prayer is mentioned in Luke chapter 11, it is in, in abbreviated form to be sure, but the way Luke introduces this prayer in his gospel uh, in verse 2, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. When you pray, say this. So it would, uh, it would appear that not just things like this, but this. It would appear there that Jesus also intends this to be a prayer that we actually pray, not merely an example. And that, that shouldn't be surprising either if you've been with us earlier in the semester when we were thinking through some of the Psalms that that the, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, are like a prayer book, a, a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer book given to us to, to not only be models of prayer that we pray, but we can actually pray through those very Psalms back to the Lord. It's like the Lord giving us words to pray back to Him, knowing that when we pray this prayer and we mean it, 
we are praying in the will of God. So I think it's a both and and, and not an either or. I think the Lord's Prayer is a great model for us to follow and a great prayer for us to actually pray. But that being said, let, let me also remind you of something we said about the structure of this prayer because this is important as well. So basic, I, I think it's instructive. Basically, the prayer is, is, is laid out in this way. It begins with an invocation. Uh, it's sort of like a call to worship or a, a, an opening call to the Lord. And it opens in this way, Our Father in heaven. It's invoking the Lord in that way. Our Father in heaven. Once that invocation has taken place, the prayer proceeds with seven, seven different, can I do that with my hands? Seven different petitions. Seven different requests that we're asking from the Lord. Uh, first, hallowed be your name. Second, your kingdom come. Third, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. Those seven things we're asking before that, that final doxology that is not in the main portion of the scripture, but is often in your English Bibles footnoted, as it is in mind, with that, that uh, traditional doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you didn't catch what we said last week about why that portion of the prayer does not make its way into the main body of the text, but is footnoted. Uh, I encourage you to go back and watch last week's video and, and you can find what I think is the explanation as to why that is. But the instructive thing about that structure is not just that it's broken down in that way, invocation, seven petitions, and a doxology. It's not merely that, uh, but it's in the orientation of the invocation and those following petitions. In, the, in, in this sense, it opens with a Godward focus, a Godward focus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, before it turns to the last four petitions that have to do with us. Um, get, give us our daily bread. Give forgive us as we forgive others, right? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Uh, and, and as J.C. Ryle, the famous Anglican writer of the late uh, 20th, uh, excuse me, the late 19th century said, he categorized those last four as having to do with our daily wants, our sins, our weaknesses, and our dangers. So in that way, there's seven petitions. The first three are Godward, and then the last four are Usward, if that's even a word. In that way, the Lord's Prayer is, is sort of a mirror of the Ten Commandments. Not in number, of course, but uh, in structure. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four, some would say the first five, depending on how you interpret honor your father and mother, um, but the first four commandments are, are Godward, uh, no other God, um, no false image, reverence his name, keep his Sabbath. And then the last five, beginning with honor your father and mother on down to do not covet, have to do with us and our relationships. So we're going to think about that a little more tonight, how our minds, when we come to this part of the prayer, our minds are first toward the Lord. Um, in this prayer before we get to ourselves in this prayer. 
We've already looked last week at the opening invocation, um, our Father in heaven. And tonight, we're going to move on to that first petition, which asks the Lord, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And just to reiterate the obvious again, something I've already hinted at, just say a little more bluntly, hallowed be your name is a petition. It's a petition. It's, it's, a, it's not a statement. Uh, it's a request. It's something we're asking God to do. And as it, it, so it's not a statement. Your name is hallowed. It's asking God, please hallow your name. And as, as true as it is that it's good to begin prayer with praise and to open it with praise, in this prayer in particular, we have actually already done that by invoking his name, our Father in heaven. We've praised him as being who he is, our Father in heaven. And now, having done that, without completely leaving the, that reverent theme, it now makes its first request, hallowed be your name. Now, uh, as we think through this first petition together, hallowed be your name, uh, I want to ask just a few simple questions of it. And I think that's a good way to study your Bible on your own anyway, is when you read a passage of Scripture, just bombard it with questions, obvious questions, and then get to more questions that you may not know the answer to. Right? I think that's a good way to do it. Read the passage, bombard it with, with questions, because that will help you think better and more particularly about every single word and phrase and clarify things in your mind, even if you think you already know them. So here are the, here are the questions, three questions that I want to ask of this phrase, hallowed be your name. First, what is God's name? What is God's name? We'll probably spend most of our time on this question. So if, you don't know, if you don't know what scripture means and what Jesus means, by the name of God, hallowed be your name. If you don't understand that bit, you're not going to understand the rest of it. So if we're going to understand what Jesus means, for God's name to be hallowed, we need to understand what Jesus means and what the other scriptures mean by God's name. Second, uh, as you might now expect, what does it mean to hallow, hallow God's name? What does it mean to hallow anything? I mean, that's not a word we really use anymore. Really, the only word it survives in in our modern English language is the, is the, the holiday Halloween, which that, if all we know about hallowing something is gleaned from how we celebrate Halloween, that might skew our understanding of what it means to hallow something. So what does it mean to hallow God's name? What is God's name? What does it mean to hallow God's name? And finally, what does this petition lead us to do? Does it lead us to do anything other than to ask God for this? Uh, is it merely something we're asking for or is it calling us to some kind of action? So those are the three questions that we're going to ask of this petition. We've already prayed the prayer together, and we've already itemized the different petitions uh, in this introduction. So we're not going to reread the passage, but before we do dive into it, let's pray together, if you could. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you've left us this prayer, not only as an example for us to follow in our own prayer life, but also you have given us this precious prayer to return back to you in our own prayer life. And so, Father, we do ask that you would hallow your name. And hallow your name, please, Lord, in these few minutes that we have together to study the Scriptures. 
Lord, we do understand that the scriptures are your inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And we ask that you would give us minds to understand the truth that is conveyed to us in this phrase, hallowed be your name, and in all the scriptures that clarify what it means. Not only would you give us, we ask, minds to understand the truth, but give us hearts to embrace and love the truth, and then thereby the wills to obey whatever it calls us to do. Give us all ears to hear, I pray. Give me the help that I need to teach and teach clearly. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, having said that and laid out where we're going, let's, let's start at the beginning and, and address the question, what is God's name? When Jesus teaches us to pray and to ask for God's name to be hallowed, what does that mean? What is his name? Well, and this may be something that you already know, and if so, good. Let's just reinforce that. As, the, as, that, as that word, God's name, that, that phrase, God's name, as it's used throughout the Bible, most of the time it is used as shorthand for God himself, who he is, his character, all that he has revealed about himself. So when you, when you think about God's name, uh, it's, talk, it's, it's shorthand for all of who he is. Okay, And we have somewhat of an understanding of that usage of name in our own time and in our own culture. Um, because my, my name is Kevin, K-E-V-I-N. Those letters comprise my name. Uh, but if someone was, 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 was talking to you about me, right, and they said, uh, Kevin has a, has a good name in the community, or, heaven forbid, Kevin has a bad name in the community, they aren't giving a referendum on the name Kevin. They're not saying, I don't, I don't like the letters K-E-V-I-N, right? They're not doing that. If say he, he has a good name in the community or a bad name in the community, no, uh, they're, they're giving a referendum on my reputation in the community, right? And, and so in one sense, my name is Kevin, K-E-V-I-N. But in another sense, my name represents who I am. And it represents my, my reputation. So in a very real sense, it, it's, the, it's the same with God in Scripture. Scripture begins with his literal name early on revealed in it. His literal name, just like mine's K-E-V-I-N. God reveals his name in that way. But it also grows from there into uh, revealing his character, reflecting his character and his attributes, his perfections and his reputation in the world and creation he's made uh, and is Lord over. I want you to see how we see that develop in Scripture. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Um, so the classic, classic text when it comes to God's name in Scripture, you may already know it, is in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. And as you're turning... Exodus 3 is the famous story where God meets Moses miraculously in the burning bush that is never consumed. And uh, when you find Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 7 and read through verse 15. 
And there in Exodus 3, beginning in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, he's talking to Moses, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? <laughs> and uh, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, and here's where he reveals his name, translated into English to us as, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, and in, in your Bible it's probably in small caps, that means he revealed that covenant name of God a third time. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, you know, that, Moses is right. When If I go and say, God, your God wants me to, to use me to lead you out of slavery, they doubt. They're at this point going to doubt Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt. So is he even really telling the truth? And so to test him, they're going to say, okay, what is the name of our God? You say God, our God has told you this? What is his name? Perfectly legitimate question. And God does tell Moses what his name is. In Hebrews, just just four letters. All consonants, no vowels. It's it's Yod Hey Vav Hey. Yod Hey Vav Hey. And and there's no vowels inserted into the name. And even that, well, in Hebrew initially didn't have uh, written vowels. Uh but even when they copied the scriptures later on in Hebrew history, when they had vowels and everything, they revered that name so much they would not even write that name. They would substitute Adonai, Lord, or they would never say the name. They would say Adonai, the Lord. But that name, as God revealed it, is, a, is kind of mysterious. When he, What's your name? And he, and, he said, and he reveals his name, those four characters, translated in English as I am. Or I am who I am. It doesn't tell us much about what God is like at all. Matthew Hill, uh, in his great little book on the Lord's Prayer, I wish I had it to show you. I forgot to bring it. Matthew Hill says about this revelation of God's name, In some mysterious way, God seems to be saying to Moses, You may call me by my name, 
But do not make the mistake of thinking that you thereby comprehend me. I am free to be who I will be. My name means I exist. <laughs> so we, when we learn God's name here, what we will call him, right? And, the, and like I said, the Jews reverenced that name so much they would not even speak it. They would say, Adonai, Lord. But they knew his name. But they couldn't define what he was like. God would have to tell us what he is like. He would have to, to define himself to us. And we immediately see God doing that. He doesn't just say, here is my name. But from this point on in scripture, many times when, when God refers to his name, he accompanies it with a list of, of attributes, of characteristics, what he is like. And so just turn over for a few, a few pages to see this with me to Exodus chapter 34. We're still in the book of Exodus chapter 34. And in Exodus chapter 34, Moses is still, they've, they've been rescued out of Egypt. And Moses is still up on the mountain uh, meeting of Mount Sinai, meeting with the Lord. And look with me at verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. The Lord descended in, a, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So you see there in verse in verse uh, five, the Lord descended and and, and uh revealed himself in the form of a cloud, which he did all throughout the Old Testament to Moses. But in verse 6, he reveals his name again. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord. And you see it in small caps. So he's telling Moses that name again that he revealed to him in Exodus chapter 3. But once he has done that, in proclaiming his name, he doesn't just reiterate those four letters that comprise his name. He follows that with a whole list of characteristics that describe who he is. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and steadfast love. Forgiving iniquity, keeping steadfast love for thousands. I mean, just, just this, this overwhelmingly gracious and loving, kind character of God. This is all bound up in his name. And in verse 8, Moses worshiped him for it. So when God proclaims his name in Scripture, he, he doesn't just care that we know what his proper name is, right? Um, but even more, his character, who he is, that we might know him. Just think about, we, we desire the same things. God has made us in his image. What would it feel like if you, if you went to... If you went to work every day, if you have a job, you went to work every day, or you went to church, or everywhere you went, many, many people knew your name. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. But they, they never, ever took the time to actually know who you are, right? Uh, 
you, how would you feel if that was the case? If nobody really knew anything about you, but everybody knew your name, right? Would you feel comforted by that? Would you leave work every day feeling, man, I've got such good community because everybody knows my name? Or would you feel like even though they knew your name, if they didn't know what you were like, they don't really know you, right? And God is this way. He doesn't want us just to know his name. But bound up in that name, he wants us to know who he is, right? And before we leave Exodus 34, where he says all this to Moses, what has he just done with Moses? Since chapter 19, that we opened up the scripture, uh, opened up CBS with tonight, God has been proclaiming his law, the Ten Commandments, and all the laws that accompany that in this covenant with Moses. This, this law, this overwhelming testimony of the the character and the holiness of God. And you might think, man, he just revealed the law to, to Moses. And man, what does that reveal about God? Maybe you, you might come away thinking, wow, how harsh it is that God reveals himself in a law. But read the law. The law is very gracious. And even again, on the heels of revealing the law, he comes to Moses again in, verse 30, in chapter 34 and says, uh, I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, merciful and gracious. So God cares not just that we know his proper name, but we think rightly about him and all that his name represents about him. We see that all through scripture. The third commandment is not to take the Lord's name in vain. And that we said last week, that isn't, it isn't just, or we said it on Thursday in Theology Thursday, that the third commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain doesn't just mean don't use, don't say his name as a profanity. It has to do with all of our actions every day. How we as Christians bear the name of Christ, bear the name of the Lord. We are his redeemed people. We belong to him, called by his name. How do we reflect that in our lives and in our actions? Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says in Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So the Lord cares that we reflect his character, reflect his name as we bear his name, as people who belong to him and have been, been redeemed by him, that in our lives, in our speech, and in our actions, we give to him the glory that is due his name, right? And God acts for our good on the basis of the reputation of his name. Uh, he, God says a few verses later in Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, talking to Israel, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So right there, God equates his name with his glory and it governs all that he does he 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 for the good of his name and reputation and glory he defers his anger 
He doesn't cut off his people. He is patient and long-suffering with them. And he wants other people to see it. How should my name be profaned? So his glory is bound up with his name. And to know his name, to know his character, and to respond to it appropriately is to give him the glory that is due his name. King And believers all throughout Scripture knew that. King David, in the Psalms, demonstrates this, this attitude of a child of God who, who when he prays in Psalm 25, 11, David prays to God, For your name's sake, Lord, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So David knows that he is a guilty sinner before the Lord. He knows that he needs the forgiveness of God, but he knows that he doesn't deserve the forgiveness of God. So he doesn't merely pray for his guilt to be pardoned. He doesn't merely pray, God, forgive my sin. He understands that anything that God does, his name and his reputation is going to be at stake in however he acts. And so he knows that and he prays. He prays for your name's sake, for your name's sake. And Please forgive my sin. And in so doing so, you will be praised as gracious. You will be praised as honorable. So God in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, does not merely want His people to uh, see and revere His name, not just His people that He's redeemed, not just believers. God wants all creation to do this. We see that also. We'll come back to the New Testament in just a minute. But elsewhere in the Old Testament, in the prophets, in Ezekiel chapter 20, twice at least, God, say, God says he, he did things and he acted for his people Israel, not just for their good, but so that all the nations around Israel would see what God did for them and understand his name, understand who he is, that he is God. He says in Ezekiel 20 verse 9, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived. That it might not be profaned among the nations, right? In verse 14, But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight, in whose sight, in whose sight I had brought them out. So he doesn't just want... Israel to know his name, and not just the four letters of his name, but his character and revere it. He wants all the nations to do so, all that he has made. And when we come back to the New Testament, God uh, expands on the revelation of his name, but the pattern is still the same, that, that God speaks and God acts in ways that define who he is so that we would respond appropriately. Let me just give you one passage in the New Testament that shows the expansion, how God in, this, in the New Testament expands his name in, uh, to us. And turn to the last chapter of, of Matthew, Matthew 28. You probably know this pas passage backwards and forwards. We're talking about the, the Great Commission, but... Just remember, no matter how well you, are, you may already know any passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit still does His sanctifying work in us every single time we put our eyeballs on that text and see it again with our own eyes. But looking again at the, at the, the Great Commission, particularly in verse 19, 
This is what the resurrected Christ says to the disciples in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name, singular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So all that we just said throughout the Old Testament about what the Lord said about the glory of his name and the character revealed and represented by his name, all of that is now applied in the New Testament, not just to the Father, but to our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all, all bearing the identically same nature and character. I take that back, not just one uh, New Testament passage. Let me just one more. Remember in Isaiah 48, in Isaiah chapter 48, the Lord said very clearly, I will not give my glory to another. Well, when we come to, to, to the book of Philippians chapter 2, we read this in verse 9. Therefore, God the Father has highly exalted uh, him, that is Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him, Jesus Christ, uh, the name that is above every name. Right? The name that is above every name. So, this is true because if, if how, how can it be that in Isaiah 48, God said, I will not give the glory of my name to another. But yet in the New Testament, he gives Christ the name that is above every name. How is that not giving his name and his glory to another? Because Christ is not another. <laughs> right? Uh, Christ is one and the same God with the Father. And to give glory and the name that is above every name to the Son in verse 9 you look in verse uh, 11, is also to glorify the Father. So let me just summarize what Jesus and Scripture means by the name of God. Here's a quote from theologian Herman Bobbink. I quoted him just the other day too, about a hundred years ago. Here's what he wrote about the name of God, God's name. All we can learn about God from his revelation is designated his name in Scripture. A name is something personal and very different from a number or member of a species. It always feels more or less unpleasant when others misspell our name or garble our name because it stands for our honor, he says. Our name stands for our honor, our worth, our person, our individuality. There is an intimate link between God and his name. According to scripture, this link is not accidental or arbitrary, but forged by God himself. We do not name God, he names himself. Summed up in his name, therefore, is his honor, his fame, his excellencies, his entire revelation, his very being. And from all of this, you might be able to guess what is Jesus instructing us to do in the Lord's Prayer when he teaches us to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean to hallow something? So I've already 
mentioned a little bit about this. This is a an older English word that uh, survives only really. <coughs> excuse me. It only survives really in in our word in the name Halloween. To hallow something in older English was to sanctify something, was to set it apart and to recognize it as special, to to recognize it as holy and to revere something. It's, it's uncommon in that way. It's not like the common run of things. Did, to hallow something is to set it apart from the common things and it's holy. It's to be revered. And, uh, and, and, and so that's why uh, the November 1st is, is All Saints Day in, in the Christian tradition. If you go to Lakeview, we have the All Saints Fair. It's always around that time, referring to All Saints Days. So we, we remember the holy, uh, holy Ones, Christians, Christian saints, or Christian martyrs that have gone before us. All Saints Day. Well, in older times, they called it All Hallows Day. All Hallows Day, meaning those Christians that we revere who died for their faith and things like that. Well, All Hallows Day was on November 1st, and so October 31st was All Hallows Eve, which turned into Halloween, which then the way we do it today doesn't teach us anything at all about All Hallows Day or what the word hallow means. But but then to take that meaning of what to hallow something and, and, and ask it of God, right? If we ask God in prayer that God would hallow his own name, it means, God, would you sanctify your name? And remember what his name is. Would you sanctify who you are? Would you set apart who you are? Would you manifest yourself in the eyes of all people? Who you are, so that we, so that everybody, one might not merely see you, but revere you. You're not common. We're common. We're the creatures. You're the Creator. Would you do that, God? That's what you're asking. And you may also have a, a footnote in your Bible. Mine keep, keeps the traditional language. Hallowed be your name. But I, I have a footnote in my Bible on that page that gives actually two alternate translations. That are good ones. That, that they do help here. One of the footnotes says, uh, translate it, translates it as, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be kept holy. And the other is, let your name be treated with reverence. That's exactly what let, uh, hallowed be your name means. Let your name be treated as holy and treated with reverence. Jesus himself prayed in John 12, 28, uh, Father, glorify your name. And as the children of God, as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and, and if you're watching this, I hope, I hope uh, that every one of you watching has trusted Christ and, and, and knows that you have the forgiveness of your sins because of what Christ has done for you, right? And as people who have been redeemed, and if you don't know him, all you've got to do is repent of your sins and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you. The promise of Scripture is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And for those who have done that, and know the salvation of God, um, uh, it, that's going to be the cry of our heart. It, it will be. The, because of the Spirit's work in us, that's, we, we will want, not because we naturally want it, but the Spirit has awakened our hearts and made us alive in Christ and given us new desires, and that is our desire. 
that God's name would be uh, hallowed by not just by us, but by people all around us in our community. That his name would be hallowed among the nations where where the uh, people haven't heard the gospel. That it would be hallowed in this way that 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 missionaries, maybe you or me, would go, would go, and we would take the gospel with us, and they would hear. God's name would be hallowed in their hearing of the gospel and believing in it and then glorifying the Lord where we are hallowing his name and taking it. They are hallowing his name in worship. And we need, like I said, we need this first petition, not just for our community and our nation and the nations abroad. We don't just need it for other people. We need this petition to guard our own hearts. Dale Allison, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says about this petition, hallowed be your name. The solemnity, solemnity, it's a solemn thing. The solemnity of this first request ensures that the intimacy, the intimacy conveyed by the address Father, that's a very intimate term, that when we address him as Father, that that will not then degenerate into presumptuous familiarity. So even though God invites us to come to him as our heavenly father, we don't thereby need to think that he's just like one of us, right? The counterbalance to our father is hallowed be your name, right? James Montgomery Boyce says in this first petition, hallowed be your name, uh, combine it with the invocation, our father in heaven helps us to keep the first commandment in the Old Testament, right? Where, whereas in the law, um, the, the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. We accordingly pray, our Father in heaven. And whereas the law says, you shall have no other gods before me, we accordingly pray, hallowed be your name. So this is something we're asking God to do. This is a, a request. We're, we're, we're petitioning God that he would uh, cause his name to be hallowed because our our hearts are so deceived naturally and hardened by sin and, and, and self-obsessed rebellion against God that we would never have the least desire to do this on our own apart from his help. And again, it's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 86, 11, Lord, unite my heart. Unite my heart to, to fear your name because my heart's naturally divided and it doesn't want to do what is right. So only the Lord can keep our hearts uh, from straying. And only the Lord can open blind eyes and make alive dead hearts to, to see the gospel and see Christ for who he is and believe so that we, we desire for his name to be hallowed in our hearts and in everything's. But last question, does this petition call us to do anything, right? If we're asking God to do this, hallow your name, God, what, what does it mean for us? Does it mean merely that? Keep asking for this? Well, yeah, you should keep asking for this. Especially as believers, we know that apart from his help, there's not anything else we really can do because apart from his help, Jesus said you can do nothing. But we do know that he's always with us to the end of the age. So uh, Allison, in that same commentary, he, he says this obvious application. The obvious application for you is not only to just keep asking God to do this, but also strive to glorify God in all that you do. He says, for one can hardly ask God to hallow the divine name 
and then turn around and do things that profane it. So as we pray this, the more we pray, God, to, to hallow his name, hallow your name in my life, hallow your name through me, hallow your name in so many different ways that we've already mentioned, it's hard to turn around from that and do things that profane that very name that we've asked God to hallow and make holy and sanctify and set apart. The ways that we respond to this are practically endless. Uh, Al Mohler is exactly right when he said, uh, he said, quote, Of course, God's inherent glory does not wax and wane. We cannot add or take away anything from God's inherent majesty, but his visible, visible, and observable glory can be made more or less apparent depending on our faithfulness. Faithfulness in the Christian life makes the glory of God go public. And so we ask God to hallow his name through us in way in, in hallow his name through us in the ways that we uh, spend our time during this quarantine. If we're by ourselves a lot, are we are we being alone in ways that hallow God's name and that honor him or are while we're alone are we doing things or thinking things that profane his name? Um we ask God to hallow his name through us as we bear witness to Christ and tell others uh, about Christ in evangelism and in making disciples. We ask God to hallow his name through us as during this frustrating time of self-isolating, we, we refuse to complain about God's providence during this time in this season. We ask God to hallow his name in the nations as the gospel goes to places that it's never gone before. Well, let me, let me bring this great admonition, uh, this great request, rather, of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Let me bring it to a close with this great admonition from A.W. Pink. He says, in conclusion, let us point out very briefly the uses to be made of this petition. One, our past failures are to be bewailed and confessed. We are to humble ourselves for those sins whereby we have hindered, hindered uh, the manifestation of God's glory in us and, we have, and that we have profaned his name, such as pride of heart, coldness of zeal, stubbornness of will, and impiety of life. So one, it should lead us to confess our sins. Two, we are to earnestly seek those graces from God whereby we may hallow his name. Lord, give us a fuller knowledge of yourself, an increase, an increase of holy fear in our hearts, increased faith, hope, love, and worship, and the right use of his gifts. And third, our duties are to be faithfully practiced that there may be nothing in our conduct that would cause his name to be blasphemed by unbelievers. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, uh, this petition of, of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we can come to you in that name as our Father, not just mine alone, but as part of a family that you're redeeming and adopting. Don't let us think, though, that you are merely like us. You are our Father in heaven, and your name is to be hallowed.
So we ask you to hallow your name in us, through us, around us. And we ask you to do it for the sake of your name. Amen.